welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and I am joined by... Beth, indubitably. Sam, regularly. Soshite watashi no nawa Caleb desu. Oh, God. Hi, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> Every episode is a new adventure. <laughs> we had a couple of regular ones which also shocked us i like to mix it up yeah that's fair yeah we are back again for our second episode of reading hero of ages uh, which covers the middle chunk of part one uh, and i am eager to uh to work on that because there's a it's it's cool to see all of the setup points that we're getting like these are all the things that are going to happen in this book uh, but they also just remind me of those things happening, and so I want to want to keep going. <laughs> I keep thinking of more scenes and more things, and I'm like, oh, I'm excited to get to that. Oh, but what about? Oh, but what about that? This book is good. Beth and I had some very insightful discussion in our uh, spoiler channel earlier today uh, that boiled down to this book is good. <laughs> it's very good, is the thing. But anyway. <laughs> Yeah, so now that we're done talking about how much we love this book, let's uh, ask Sam and Caleb and find out that they really, really hated this section. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Who is Ellen anymore? This book just gets worse and worse. No, I'm kidding. I like this uh, section a lot more than, than the first chunk. Yeah, we had some uh, we had some kind of drastic shifts between the end of Well of Ascension and the beginning of Hero of Ages. And so as we settle into Hero, uh, I think we start to get a, a better read on what we're going to have here. Yeah, and I, I want to say, I don't really take back many of the things I said last episode. I may have gotten more heated about it than I needed to, knowing that there was, you know, <laughs> 1920ths more book to go. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. There's there, There's some more stuff to talk about this time. Yeah, no, and I think we understood that, like, with only the first four chapters of this book, there are kind of some some stark contrasts, and it'll take some time to figure out what all that's about. And now we get to try to figure out what all that's about. <laughs> all right, we can go ahead and uh, start with our section for this episode. Uh, starting with our chapter five epigraph, uh, there's there's a, going to be a recurring bit, uh, the epigraphs in today's section, and I think we get a few more of them later, of really looking behind the curtain at some stuff that that we know from like a a like planet lore background that we learned primarily from these epigraphs when they first came out. Uh, but you know th they definitely influence things when you look back on. Final Empire and Well of Ascension, but now we get to hear about things like uh, when Rashik was holding uh, the power of the well and was trying to to fix the planet, all of these kind of cascading, hopefully smaller and smaller changes that he had to make. Uh, starting with uh, last section, we heard he moved the planet, but it was too close to the sun, so he made the ash to keep the sun from being so harsh. Uh, had to make the plants different so that they could survive now and then the people different so that they could live off the new plants. Or as I put in my notes, Rashik is hella dumb and ruined the world. 
he did do that and like it's one of those like cool motives still murder things where <laughs> we get some we get some more backstory and rationalization but he did still really screw everything up I don't know about you guys, but this opens with every time Rashek tried to fix things, he made them worse. And I've never found Rashek more relatable than than reading that. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to figure out how we could make that a, we start with a Beth POV. <laughs> it wasn't the POV, so it wouldn't work. So thank you for getting there, Caleb. In the uh, recent times, uh, both Beth and I saw a local production of Les Miserables, which is an amazing show. Uh, and I think Caleb saw it as well. Oh, there you go. I did I? It tickles me that you call it a local production. It is the Broadway show being put in one of the biggest yes. cities in America. Yes, but it was local to us. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's but true. I I pointed out uh, one of my favorite lines in the show, which is "I'm doing everything all wrong," which is very relatable. Wasn't usually my favorite line in the show, but for this particular production, absolutely one of my favorites. That was that was a very good moment. <laughs> the other favorite line is, of course, you have no friends. I have no friends. <laughs> yes, obviously. <laughs> the only reason I knew that wasn't what you were going to lead with is because it wasn't relevant to the epigraph. I knew that had to be in your top three. <laughs> Number three is, I am a gog, I am a ghast. <laughs> very true. All right, should we talk about this book oh right the uh, book yes the book <laughs> i have more to say about lame is if we wanna <laughs> i mean Same. we could do it that's another thing to queue up a side episode for honestly yeah <laughs> uh anyway ellen is kneeling by an inquisitor corpse yes he is anyway, people have died <laughs> yes <laughs> there was a, a bloody battle and they're trying to figure out what uh what is happening Wait, sorry, I thought of another sidetrack, but it does actually have to do with the book this time. <laughs> do tell. Reading the epigraphs made me remember a couple of things about the world we're living in, and it made me look at the cover again. Why is the sun yellow on the cover? Good question. Sure hope someone got fired for that blunder, Brandon. Next question. <laughs> Brandon, fire yourself. <laughs> I mean, he he has talked about how when you are a... Uh, a brand new author you have very very little control over things like the cover art oh i know I, yeah as as you <laughs> i mean at this point he has a significant amount of pull in that but i was gonna say these are reprints yes no excuses <laughs> <laughs> they could uh, they could retint the sun in the edition where they put the ash mounts in the right place yeah yes, yes exactly <laughs> Like, you could theoretically look at this and go, ah, yes, this is once Vin has fixed the world. But I just, I kind of assumed this was, a, like I said, she's speedrunning the cover poses. I assumed this is from the fight that we saw last chapter. Um, in which case, that sun sure should be red. Um, but uh, yeah, just an interesting thing I picked up on. Mm -hmm. So the thing that uh, Vin and Ellen have picked up on uh, is something that we briefly touched on in the last section, uh, was that the Inquisitor they were fighting uh, was moving very quickly. And uh, Vin's read on this from an Alimantic perspective is that that wasn't pewter and it wasn't uh, Duralumin pewter. And she's not sure what that entails, but it's definitely worrying. 
Hmm. I've taken to calling these, I guess, this species of thing, uh, Keep Quisitor. <laughs> which I think is more, okay. uh, rolls off the tongue a little bit better than Little Inky Boy. It's, it's <laughs> well, a close competition. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we also get, we will find out shortly what this means, but the classic Brandon thing of giving you just the slightest bit of information b- without elaborating of, they had Electrum. The Lord Ruler was to be thanked for that, actually. What, what, do, you, what? what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, he's normally not one to be thanked. But they do uh, a bit more of a of a closer look, which is uncomfortable because this is an Inquisitor and has giant spikes pounded through his body. Uh, <laughs> but there are more spikes in this one than they have come to expect, uh, especially when you account for the one that was not in the Inquisitor, but that he was trying to stab Elland with. And it's also worth noting that this particular extra spike that they've seen is pounded directly through the front of the creature's chest. Which does remind me of one specific other spike we've seen in one specific other person. Sure does, doesn't it? In a detail that I never quite picked up, even though it was mentioned over and over. (laughs) (laughs) And now that you're mentioning it, I'm like, yeah, they did bring that up like six... They, Brandon, did bring that up like six (laughs) times. And I totally (laughs) just blew through it every time. He was like, Zane had a spike in his chest. (laughs) I thought it was like that that thing where like you have a bump in your sternum or whatever. Nope. And I was like, why <laughs> you I just had that? like a bone spur. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We also get a fun little detail of um, Vin wants to get a closer look at all these spikes and like takes away the the robe of the Inquisitor and Ellen goes, Vin, have respect for the dead. And less than a page later, Vin goes, I have to cut open its stomach to see if it has any idiom. And Ellen's like, hell yeah, you do that. That's great. <laughs> I was, I wrote that in my notes. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Don't dehumanize him unless you turn him into like a, a pig or something. You can cut open its stomach, Vin, but it has to be through the cloth. You can't take the clothes off and then cut through the stomach. That's just, that's, that's, that's how gauche. So... Vin and Ellen talk through a couple of things that uh, we know as the readers and as the podcast recorders. Uh, (laughs) A, that there is some sort of third power, uh, which we have seen Marsh mention hemology, but we don't know much about that yet. Uh, And B, that there is a a single malevolent force that they are fighting against and it's not just this kind of abstract apocalypse which is funny because they don't have a ton of evidence for that it, it they appear to be right but for, for all the evidence they have it could just be the inquisitors are doing their own thing and whatever been released is just a completely separate thing and Ellen even brings up like that could be nothing that we, we might have to worry about that at all <laughs> There's a very good line of Vin saying, we're missing something. We're like children playing a game we've watched our parents play, but not really knowing any of the rules. That description was really, really neat. I do like that one, yeah. Hmm. Uh, The other thing that we have discussion of, which is also a little weird and and maybe a bit uncomfortable, uh, is the way that Vin and Ellen are using Kolos as part of their fighting force now, in that they are controlling somewhat large numbers of them. Uh, and 
like one of the things that they said that this the victory in this fight was getting the inquisitor to commit along with the Coloss army so that they could kill the inquisitor and take control of that Coloss force interesting kind of mechanics here um did we already learn this or, or is this where we learned that um multiple soothers can break a coloss that is the first we've heard of that so who gets the hive mind then yeah that's a good question and that that seems like it would be a very weird experience to be part of you rule coloss by committee <laughs> everyone vote everyone All five gets of us a have to agree <laughs> you, you get you get leg leg arm arm and head <laughs> so you're playing what is it <laughs> you're playing Quop. uh octodad Quop, that's it oh i was gonna go voltron oh no no we're, <laughs> pl- we're playing games where the entire point of the game is is that it is impossible to control alternatively it's like twitch plays pokemon everyone gets an yes. input <laughs> just make sure to avoid any ledges Good God. I was there for that. That was a a thing of the internet, and I'm glad that it happened. Anyway, dozens of people have died in the attack on the village. Um, as this, this battle has, has wound down and we get to, to debrief with the uh, people of the village, uh, Ellen and Vin are heading towards uh, one of their other objectives, besides from defeating the Inquisitor, uh, which was the Ministry Building. Uh, and there's a bit of a uh, there's a bit of an exchange there with with Fatrin, uh, who we saw earlier commanding the city, uh, where Elland has to uh, kind of assert his his rule, and then uh, Vin and Elland have a bit of a uh, of a disagreement on how the battle went. Vin is is worried about Elland, and uh, they are perhaps also adjusting to this new world where Ellen is also a Mistborn and also the Emperor. <laughs> oh, and also someone different. <laughs> we recast Spook between books one and two. We recast Ellen here. <laughs> D- dictatorship. Yay. Tyranny. More of that, please. Yeah. It's, uh, we'll have to keep an eye on this. It is, it is strange. And you know what? I'll I'll give credit where credit's due. At least he's wrestling with this. At least it's not just like, yeah, that's how it is now. Shut up, reader. Yeah, no, and I think in our first set of chapters, the intensity of the battle kind of didn't leave time for that. So I agree. I am glad now that they are having a chance to have a walk and talk. He can do a walk and think. <laughs> classic walk and talk. And yeah, classic walk and think. I forgot that's Ellen's whole deal. We don't have to recast him after all. <laughs> Um, I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I think part of the reason I got a, a little heated last time is because if this was our first, like, Ellen POV chapter and everything up until now was from Fatron's point of view, then the wrestling with, like, what should we do, what shouldn't we do, I feel like would feel a lot cleaner. I think what made me so upset is one of the chapters we read last time was an Ellen POV, and some of the POV is... Man, Tindall would never have imagined I became such a good big leader. And that was the moment that I was like, oh, he actually is totally cool with the whole dictatorship thing. And that was that was when I got a little a little upset at Ellen there. Um, 
And obviously, yes, it was in the midst of the battle, so he didn't have a lot of complex thoughts going on. And as as we will see, uh, he does have more complex thoughts going on once he has a moment to do his little uh, walk and thinks. Um, but uh, yeah, I wonder if I would have been able to swallow the past couple chapters a little better if it had all been from Patron's point of view. Or if we weren't. I, I think reading the books for the first time in this podcast format is lovely and cool, but also with how segmented it has to be. Sometimes you'll read a chunk super fast and then just have to sit in that chunk for a while until right. you can move on because we've recorded the relevant episode, which I imagine just lets you kind of stew in it for a bit. <laughs> Whereas my ass just flips ahead three pages and is like, and here's where he starts philosophizing. <laughs> so one of the things that he is philosophizing about uh, is that they are, they, they've headed to this ministry building uh, they're going to go find a, a a kind of hidden chamber, much like the one that was under Kritik Shaw. Uh, and Elland is thinking about how forward planned this was, uh, which like the Steel Ministry has always been kind of the, the bureaucratic backbone of the Empire. Uh, but that was something that I, I think kind of gets lost in the in the wayside as they killed the Lord Ruler. Uh, and and Ellen is looking at this and saying, this is exactly what we need in this situation. There's a, a hidden cache of supplies that was very well secured that required specific people to who knew what's going on to to go get it. And it's it's weird to kind of reconcile that with the the steel ministry being in charge of it. Let us not forget the uh, steel ministry's greatest weakness is also bureaucracy. Let us not forget the final empire, <laughs> how the inquisitors just wanted a promotion. And that's what let Sezed and Vin break out. There was that wasn't there. <laughs> After the, the cash is, is found. Uh, although one thing, as they are finding the cash, there is another one of those alimantic secret doors, uh, that requires a, a pretty significant, uh, iron pull to open, uh, and Ellen notes that it does seem a little strange and perhaps unfair that in terms of like raw pushing and pulling strength, he is the stronger of the two of them. But even so, like a page earlier when they were having the discussion of Vin is worried that Ellen went on ahead to start this battle on his own. Like, what was he hoping to do? Like face the Inquisitor by himself? And he goes, well, you did that. And then they both just kind of sit in silence for a second, thinking about how much better Vin is at mistborning than he is. Yeah. So with the uh, the supplies in this cavern, uh, we do get to see out loud some of Ellen's uh, political thoughts nowadays, uh, which he starts with the fact that, you know, this is an empire. He has come here to conquer. Uh, and that this is now therefore his. Uh, but then does kind of take a think about this and and tries a leadership, for lack of a better term. Yeah, there is a lot of ruminating in this section in general, especially this <laughs> chapter. Um, and so it is easy for me to kind of lose place of what Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's fair <laughs> well in what location are we walking and thinking now <laughs> yeah where's he talking about uh you know uh, uh 
how he's now a tyrant? Like which page? Anywhere between like sixty five and seventy eight. Like seventy five, yeah. That's that's right there, yeah. <laughs> to be quite specific, I am just wrapping up page seventy two as uh Ellen concludes his negotiations as they were uh with Lord Fatron. Uh and it's a it's a bit of a, a carrot and stick thing here, uh where he says, you know, at the end of the day, I am going to conquer this city, I am going to take all the stuff that's here. But I do not mean to you know brutally subjugate your people and if we if we work together in this arrangement we can perhaps make something work out which I do stand by some of my thoughts from last time like we know Elland we know that at heart he's a pretty decent person yes in real life if a dictator ever comes up to you and says I'm conquering your, your town but don't worry I'm going to be a nice dictator I don't fucking trust that for a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to brutally subjugate you, but but I am going to subjugate you. I you know? am you subjugating you. Subjugating. <laughs> All of this food that is in your town, I'm just taking that, and you just kind of have to deal with that. There's the moment where Ellen is like, he didn't use emotional elementsy, and yet he felt as if he'd bullied Fatron anyway. Yeah. You kind of did. You, you did. You said you yeah. don't have an option here. You did not use emotional elemancy. You used the weight of empire. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that is, that's where we'll end that for now. And we get uh, some time with, with just the characters who we have come to know. And it gets a little tense. You know, they, uh, they're talking over what they've found, uh, how this is going. And, yeah, you know, they've both been pushing themselves pretty pretty hard, and you can tell that they're both kind of worn out. Same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Don't I? I feel like we we say that every time there's mention of being of worn somebody out. Somebody being tired. worn out. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's just like that nowadays? Yeah. Anyway. It's, it turns out uh, Ellen and Vin uh, aren't stressed about the end of the world or the Inquisitors or anything. They're just experiencing young adulthood. I mean, there also is that. But there's a uh, one moment in here that I want to call out as particularly interesting is where uh, Ellen is, is kind of invoking Kelsier's name and mantra and image and all that. Uh Ellen being the member of this group who only very briefly actually met the man. Uh, and Vin, who was, you know, a nearly a, a daughter figure to Kelsier, uh, is the one who, who says he's dead. You know, he, he, he called himself the survivor. He did that trick, uh, but he's dead and we're the ones who have to deal with this so we like that doesn't help this whole scene makes me think of Sazed's secret conference back in well of ascension where dachshund and ham started sniping at each other immediately and the thought was just this is what cornered men look like this is what happens when you are penned in and stretched this thin and speaking of that scene it's also extra ironic because the whole point was Let's get Vin and Ellen out. They are hope for the future because they're so innocent and they 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 just 
still have optimism for what the world could be like. And here they are, the two of them, basically acting the same way that Breeze and Ham were of just, we're both at the end of a rope. We don't know where we're supposed to be going right now. And it sucks. We're so stressed that we are, like, angry at each other for the smallest reasons. Yeah. Once they kind of reach a point where they are ready to at least leave that for now, uh, we get to see some of the the more specific details of this hidden cavern, uh, which is uh, a large inscribed metal plate, which we've now come to pay very close attention to. And uh, we, we learn some things here. We have a... Uh, Interestingly, we, we have an alimantic description of the 11th metal, uh, which kind of throws some things off in terms of what we thought about who knew about what. And also this kind of weirdly introspective writing from presumably the Lord Ruler uh, of, you know, of him saying, this one is weird and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Same girl. And also saying to scorn the mists. Scorn them. You know, yeah. as opposed to your natural reaction to the mists, which is to accept them with open arms. <laughs> yeah, I suppose most people do scorn the mists anyway, don't they? <laughs> they be scorning, yeah. Am I scorning the mists or are the mists scorning me? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> it seeks to destroy us all, so it could be both. <laughs> a mutual scorning oh good um uh, yeah the the writing on the plates here assuming this is the lord ruler is interesting because ellen just got done saying like the lord ruler had hope that this could be defeated uh, he, he thought he could really do it and that's why he saved all this stuff up and it is very interesting that these plates are being written to address someone else if this is lord ruler writing this is the Lord Ruler essentially admitting I might not be the one to get this done. Um, right. Which is kind of the, not the opposite of what Ellen is saying, but a it is a, a more pragmatic and pessimistic view of the situation than what he had just been saying about why keep all this food. Uh, just the very way the plates are written implies the Lord Ruler knows I might die and someone else might have to defeat the mists instead of me. Which is pretty... Uh... Yeah, a pretty big contrast from what we saw of him in Final Empire, where he seemed to fully intend to live forever and rule forever. And never make a mistake. <laughs> of course. He never did. He never has. Yeah. He never did. Uh, I, I gotta say, like, of all the things that um, the, the circling, w I imagine this is tied to it, because there's a, a map with a circled thing on it and the metal plate. Um, when I pictured what the circling of Statland City was, I think the lamest possibility was a scavenger hunt. <laughs> but okay, I feel the I have I have the opposite thought here. Is we we see the map here, and there's an X to the west, marking the final thing they came for. Are you telling me, Brandon, that you set up a national treasure style series of clues, and you skipped to the end of it? <laughs> Not only did he do that, I'm I'm reading the annotations along with this, uh, and that he says originally there were more of them, uh, and that that's all there will ever be is more clues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he he said this one here 
was always going to be the second last. And that's, I guess that's probably where we would have picked up the, the story anyway. Uh, so it, it would have been off screen and, and before this book started. Uh, but there was potentially a lot more time spent with Vin and Ellen and perhaps others finding these. Uh, but that didn't seem to, to kind of fit the timeline that he wanted. I just got to say, hashtag release the Ben Gates cut. I, I, I need to see the scavenger <laughs> hunt play out. <laughs> so given that this is a, a national treasure scavenger hunt, uh, yeah, like we said, we have here is uh, on this one is the location of the final hidden cavern, uh, which is Fadric City. So we now have a uh, we have a connection there to our our earlier discussion of maps, and we have a uh, a hope that there will be ATM there. Oh, in my notes I put it as. Yeah, Sam says, excited to find ATM because it might mean they can fight the mists or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I don't know. Vin is 100% confident that there will be ATM there. So, of course, there will be. Obviously, there will be. There's no way (laughs) that they get to the last one and there's still no ATM. There's too many italics for it not to happen. We have that. The one where it is. Something spectacular, surely. Perhaps even it! (laughs) There are a lot of italics here, aren't there? We also get Ellen musing a bit about how, like, this map system makes it so that um, no one can find all the caves at once. But it's not that hard to, like, they did this in the span of, like, a month or two. It it, Clearly it didn't stall them for that long. Yeah, it's a, it is a strange system. Perhaps the Lord Ruler did not uh, thoroughly plan out his post-death plans, like apparently Kelsier did. I was going to say, amateur hour here. <laughs> so they are they're planning, or at least uh, deciding now, that they are going to have to uh, conquer Fadrex City to get to the final, the final cache, which will definitely be more difficult than this small village that they've, they've just taken over. And hopefully when they get the next one, they'll have a better idea of how to win. Like Sam said, there's a big or something here. (laughs) His last plate will say, this is how you defeat the deepness. That I didn't do because... Because some other reason. Next question. I forgot. (laughs) I was busy. I was busy staying young for a thousand years. <laughs> it was on my to-do list, but you know, you just you just never get around to some things. But not getting around to it was not a mistake. <laughs> it was not a mistake. He never makes mistakes. <laughs> I want the very last plate to just be like, congratulations, you are the true heroes of the world. And like, there's nothing else there. It's just like, it is a intentionally pithy message that delivers no information at all. <laughs> Well, we will unfortunately have to to wait to find out what uh, mediocre prize is is in the last cavern. <laughs> uh, but as we're leaving this one, there's a uh, a bit of a concerning addendum. Uh, Vin locates uh, basically a footnote, uh, a little extra 
inscription uh, in this plate uh, that tells them, be careful what you speak. It can hear what you say. It can read what you write. Only your thoughts are safe, uh, which we knew from from Quan that anything not set in metal cannot be trusted. Uh, but now this is this makes things difficult as the very end of the chapter is Vin kind of realizing the weight that is upon her of they have to figure out a way to defeat this this omnipotent force. And specifically, Vin decides she has to figure it out. And she can't talk with her friends to do that. She just has to to figure it out on her own and just go do things and try to save the world. That's yeah, a bummer. Ellen missed that part of the inscription, huh? Yeah. After all, one of her friends could be the imposter. <gasps> it's true. And we all hate that. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> We're all ready to pump all our energy into that. <laughs> It is funny to me that she couldn't just say, hey, Ellen, come take a look at this and then like have him silently read it. At first I was like, why wouldn't you just like let him read it? And then I realized, oh, it's because Ellen would read that and then immediately say, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by <laughs> be careful what you speak? I don't know what he means by that. I mean, I, I can't entirely say you're wrong. <laughs> so we already knew this and Cezid already knew this, but I feel like... It was not a prescient point for Seiza to bring it up to Vin. So maybe this is the first time Vin is learning this little factoid. Well, not only uh, not only was it perhaps not prescient, but this is a little bit more detailed of exactly what is the right. capability of this thing. Initially, it was just it can change text. Um, and now it's it can hear what you say. It can read what you write. Only your thoughts are safe. That's a little bit more hands-on than what we assumed and it could be that when it was not released all it could do is change the text a little bit but now that it is released maybe it has even more power than before um i'm a little bit baffled by how little detail is written here because if it's carved in the metal presumably it can't be changed but if you were only reading the plates and then you read specifically the the little annotation at the end it sure seems like he's still talking about the mists out of context. So either one, it's strange that he would not specify that there are two separate threats. Or two, perhaps he didn't realize that Ruin and the mists were actually completely separate evil entities. But I don't know which was which. Hmm. Is a good question. Because both of those threats are kind of ill-defined at this point. Yes. Well, that is where we will leave our uh, two heroes to try to figure that out uh, as we go from the longest chapter of part one uh, and actually the longest chapter for quite some time in the whole book. Uh, no, the longest chapter in the book to the shortest chapter in the book. <laughs> nice. Uh, we have uh, another epigraph real quick, which is like a good portion of the length of the chapter i was gonna say you said real quick it's like this is, this is like 30 percent of the entire chapter right uh <laughs> this is a continuation of the the thoughts of when rashik was affecting the world on how eventually he did 
get to a, a kind of balance point. Uh, and at that point, a significant portion of the power was expended and he could not really change things after that to the extent that, that he did. Um, this, uh, this little epigraph bit here, uh, I don't know if I'm, if this is the intended effect, but my impression is then that this is concurrent. Um, because the writer's talking about how Rasha called himself the sliver of infinity, um, which, uh, I, I feel like took him a while to land on, um, or at the very <laughs> least, like, we know that he was referring to himself as this at the very end. Right. So this is either concurrent or something else that I'm not getting. Or, uh, not or, and uh, the Lord Ruler was indeed Rashik. So my my $10 chip is, is off the table. <laughs> also, last epigraph, it mentioned like he had to change mankind itself to be able to survive. And I was like, ooh, are we going to find out something super interesting about the physiology of humans in this world? And then the answer was just, he, he, he made it so they didn't die when they breathed ash, and that's pretty much it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so without any spoilers, there is at least one more epigraph that does briefly touch on that. So you will get a little bit more interesting lore there. All right. Because I, I remember that bit as one of the ones that I, I just thought was neat. <laughs> uh, so this, this chapter itself uh, is the tragedy of Marsh right now who we we saw in the prologue uh, this chapter somewhat serves to just show us that marsh's continuing story will be a a part of this book and is not just a thing that we're going to see at the beginning and like the very end <laughs> unlike last time where he disappears for a good 400 right. pages right uh brandon does point out though in his annotations that uh because uh, as we we learn here, Marsh is at least sometimes being directly uh, controlled by Ruin. We can't be in Marsh's POV too much uh, because then we see what Ruin is doing. And that is going to be a mystery for some time. So that is part of the reason why we are only very briefly stopping here with, with Marsh. It also kind of reinforces the hopelessness of it. Like Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. It's, you know, we've said all that needs to be said. Marsh is fucked. Unless something big happens. <laughs> like, yeah. Poor Marsh. Yeah, Marsh is terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year. Year? Several years. Yeah, not going well. <laughs> also, Ash fell, but doesn't say from where. Doesn't where, say from where. Where did it come from, though? Maybe it's just, like, somebody standing off off shot and dropping <laughs> ash on them instead of a snow machine it's an ash machine exactly i was gonna say there's there in this particular scene you just hear the low hum of and it's a snow <laughs> machine just shooting ash into marsh's face um <laughs> no i did i did a show where there was a very poignant quiet moment where it started to snow and it fully sounded like a lawnmower <laughs> <laughs> It's like a beautiful father-daughter reunion. Like, won't you take a walk with me? Ah. <laughs> we had to do oh, some repairs. Oh, the neighbor has the snowblower. Snow <laughs> One of our stagehands would always sing, "Won't you mow the lawn with me?" <laughs> anyway, we also have a detail of Marsh has a new set of spikes, including some 
down through the chest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I gotta say, it is a terrifying transition of Marsh kind of giving in to, like, like losing control of himself. Uh, you would almost expect, like, a change in narration style, but he has the thought of, like, I need to go mad, then I won't have to deal with all this, then there's kind of a paragraph of description without any personal thoughts, and then it brings up the spikes, and then he goes, he didn't understand why, but they excited him, and that's the moment where we're like, oh, shit, he, he is now lost in the mm-hmm. sauce again. Um, <laughs> and you barely even realize it's happening. Which is especially spooky because in the prologue, there's a very, like, very blatantly, it's like, and then it returned and took over his thoughts. The fact that we yeah. don't get that and just get all of a sudden, what a beautiful world. It's very jarring. Yeah. Well, we will have to, we'll have to see how long before we, we circle back to, to him again. Uh, our chapter seven uh, epigraph, I am amused by Brandon's annotation on this one. Uh, because this is this is kind of a an interim here where the epigraph author is talking about our main characters, I guess. Uh, at least, like as we understand the timeline, uh, is you know the people trying to fight against ruin, and Brandon pointed out that without this epigraph or something like it, that that says. Uh, that the author is going to refer to like the collective actions of a bunch of characters. Uh, some of his alpha readers were trying to puzzle out who the epigraph author was by which scenes do they directly comment on and which scenes do they never mention, possibly because they weren't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so this is partially the the epigraph author just saying. I'm going to talk about all of these things that all of us in various combinations did. And is Brandon saying, stop that. Bad. This also feels like the epigraph author promising, like, look, I know there's like five or six different storylines. Trust me, they're all going to be important. Just just keep going with it. And that's very true. Uh, so we will get back to uh, one of those different storylines. Uh, when we return to Tensoon, who at the end of our previous section had just barely managed to demand justice and now is being given a, a proper set of bones and a proper body again. Bones. He made himself into a person from memory, which means he looks gross and weird. Uh, <laughs> and notably, he made himself a somewhat... Like it is gross and weird, but he did make himself look like a human with like skin, uh, because <laughs> we're getting lots of really cool Chandra lore in in this this chapter now, uh, and we see that uh, this Chandra in question, who is is guarding him, whose name is Varcel, uh, has a set of bones uh, that are handcrafted out of quartz and not just regular actual skeletal bones uh and varcel's body is slightly transparent so you can see this this beautiful set of bones which is really cool and really freaky looking but it's really cool it's pretty cool the whole true body thing is pretty neat we also get i know he's been through a lot these past couple months but tensuit is like shockingly sassy in this chapter 
I like it's such a <laughs> bold it's such a bold start to get your bones, form your body, turn around. Varcel is staring at you, and you look your captor in the eyes and just go, "What?" I think Tensoon may have spent too long with Vin. I will say that. I was going <laughs> to say it's rubbing off. <laughs> the the mid-born dramatic bitchiness is contagious. I mean, it affected Sazed, and then it affected Tensoon. Maybe it will affect a human. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, we're we're getting all sorts of uh, of Chandra world building here. Uh, they they live in you know in these caves. Uh, they have a glowstone uh, because, as Sam points out, this is apparently <laughs> Minecraft. <laughs> when I have a moment, I need to look up when this was published and when the nether update was was put that had glowstone in it i kind of want to know now um and yeah we we learn about the the generations of chandra which we had heard before very briefly uh but now we we hear a lot more about kind of where where those years fall and where that that hierarchy seems to fall uh we see we learned that that tensoon is of the third generation uh, which is probably probably important information. Yeah, I'm forming a whole fucking encyclopedia over here trying to keep track of these generations. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got great news. It's called the Coppermind. <laughs> yeah, I've got bad news. You can't read it. Yeah, that's why I have to do it myself. <laughs> we need names. We need lines. We need hierarchies. We do also get specific context. We learned last time that Tensoon is very fast at creating a body. Mm-hmm. Um, we get further context here that he's also just in general very, very good at this because oh, Marcel yes. just assumes, oh, you know what those bones look like? That must have been a body you've already used. And Tensoon's like, no, I just know how to do humans pretty dang well. Yeah, there's another moment of, of Tensoon's skill and also a look at the the politics of the Chandra, uh, where they're just kind of waiting around, and Varcel is like, "They thought this was going to take you a couple of hours." Uh, <laughs> and and Tensoon's comment is that the second generation doesn't do this enough, and and they're bad at it, and they assume everyone else is bad at it too. And then Varcel goes, shows some respect, and Tensoon goes, "Nah, fuck those guys. <laughs> no, I won't." <laughs> And then Varsel hisses. <laughs> we also get... Sorry, there's a lot of Conjure stuff happening. <laughs> we also get the note that the fifth generation all have two sparkling rods of metal embedded in their muscles, which hmm. it's, it's described as the blessing of potency, but that sure feels a lot like Spiky boys, our little inky boys. Are these metal um, rods perhaps pointed on the ends? I don't even... Well, that's the thing is I don't even know if they need to be because if Contra can shapeshift, then maybe you can just accept the spike into you without having to like actually stab through anything and you can get the hemallergy powers, in which case Contra are like ideal to use that power system because there's no pain or torture that goes into it. But it's only once it comes around to humans that's like, well, the only way to do this is by stabbing. So that's what we got to do. And that's how this kind of art form of magic metals turns into something really horrible is because 
it wasn't really meant for humans to use. Um, I, I'm very curious if we will get to explore that a little bit more of how hemallergy functions differently between Contra and humans. Yeah, no, that's that we are uh, we're starting to stack up enough random juicy lore and magic tidbits that we can maybe start to try to piece things together but definitely not anything cohesive yet yeah in the meantime quoth ellen looking at the inquisitor body hum that was odd anyway i think it's interesting because like um uh other creatures that we've seen so far that are not exactly human in this series have had some sort of analog that's similar to them. Um, the Contra don't really have. They're they're a very unique thing. They are. They're, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to read this, but it's also a little disorienting. <laughs> there's there's now an eleventh generation. Is the eleventh favored by the sixth, but but disdained by the fourth, or is the eighth loved by the sixth but hated by the tenth? <laughs> You know, it's kind of interesting in that there there are some fantasy authors who are known for kind of doing this to you, like from the beginning, where they're just going to throw you into a book and there's going to be 10 million words that are made up and they're all used to refer to each other. And at least in Mistborn, for the most part, Brandon doesn't do that. You know, this is a relatively familiar world aside from the the obvious bits uh, but then we we go into these caves, we go to where the Chandra are among themselves and not among the humans, and it is way off the deep end now. For the record, in my notes, I have 11th generation might have been chosen, question mark, and then followed by that, I guess this is sort of getting the theory section, do specific mist wraiths get chosen and then like elevated to become full Chandra? Who knows? So one thing, as we uh, transition chapters here, uh, because we are we're going back, we're going back to Vin and Elland, and then looking ahead, we are going to see more of Ten soon before we we close this section. Um, Brandon points out that uh, one thing that he tries to do is when he has differing POVs jumping in different places, he tries to keep everything as strictly chronological as he can. Uh, and because all of this is happening at the same time with Vin and Ellen uh, going on their travels and Tensoon's, the be the beginning of, of his uh, trials in the, the caverns, these two scenes do need to play out in kind of alternating chapters or else like we'd see all of one at once and all the other at once. <laughs> uh, so yes, back to, to chapter eight with Vin and Ellen. Uh, our epigraph starts to give us some information about Ruin, about this force that is opposing us, uh, and how uh, it does have, uh, it's not purely a force of destruction. It has plots and plans and schemes and all that, as long as those schemes tend towards destruction in the end. I like the turn of phrase, intelligent decay. That was what I wrote down on my notes, yeah. <laughs> Me too, yeah. It's both a good description and a bad name. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think I was a little bit worried about Ruin just being this kind of all-powerful force of evil. We know it has some kind of personality because it had its little voice in Well of Ascension, but I, I was worried it would feel very generic. But yes, the description of intelligent decay, I was instantly like, oh, yeah, that's fascinating and terrifying. I am on board now. <laughs> so as uh, Vin and Ellen are now beginning their, their travels again, uh, now Vin has some time to walk and think, and she doesn't like it. <laughs> she is just mm. kind of uh um you know she doesn't like the situation that they're in which is obviously understandable uh but specifically uh the fact that the mists are now uh they're now dangerous and they feel wrong to her is something that makes her uncomfortable and upset and for the record she doesn't do a lot of walking she does in typical vin fashion do some perching and thinking she does sit weirdly on the thing <laughs> she also hosts a, a lovely chicken pox party for everybody of the Titian. <laughs> she does do that yeah we're uh, we're going old school inoculation here where yeah, they are they do call it inoculation <laughs> yeah, yeah they they're going out into the mists uh it is going to uh make some of them sick make some of them uh possibly dead um it's it is uh fewer than one in six that uh, it gives that it does anything to uh and only a apparently a small fraction of those die but that's still not great odds still about a hundred people if the first sentence of the chapter is uh any indication this doesn't have any parallels to real life at all no, I was going to say, I'm concerned how the anti-vax crowd feels about this scene. <laughs> oh, the government says we should just do this thing that will make us safe from the evil disease? Yeah, it's probably going to kill us. We've been wondering about what lessons ChristianAnswers.com must teach us, <laughs> but have we ever stopped to think yeah. about what anti-vax.horse or whatever they've got going on? <laughs> Yes. Yes. Horse is a real top level domain you can buy from. Can we buy antivax.horse and redirect it to our podcast? Let me check. Can we buy bespoke joke.horse? This could be a treasure trove, Justin. <laughs> bespoke joke.biz, perhaps? I don't know if my usual domain source has horse domains. I'm going to have to look that up later. Uh, a thing that I did look up while we're getting into how this book interacts with the world in a modern reading uh, in a funny way is the Minecraft joke because I looked up the dates. Uh, this book was published in 2008. Glowstone was added to Minecraft in 2010. Ooh, so Brandon wins here. Wow. Tell us your secrets, Notch. Notch. <laughs> I mean, let's just not talk about Notch. Let's, oh, he's a fucking hack. I meant what I said. Stop telling anyone anything, Notch. Yeah. Okay, back in this book where it's also depressing. A little bit. Uh, we have... Uh, Brandon specifically calls this out in the annotations. Uh, we have Fatron's last appearance here. Uh, oh. we are, we're departing from this, this town. Uh, and this scene has been done. Uh... And so this is, you know, this is where we'll, we'll leave them. The people who were out in the mist are apparently, according to Vin and Ellen, they are now uh, immune or known to be immune. And 
this this small village will have to survive. Well, to be fair, I think unless I'm, unless I misread or misremembering, the village doesn't survive because they're all evacuating the village. True. Yes, you are correct. So as we are uh, starting this this travel as they are evacuating the village, we get to the really interesting part of this chapter, like the, the reason that we're probably going to be talking the most about, uh, which is this single coloss that has been accompanying Vin that, uh, that she asked Ellen to let her control, uh, which she's not directly controlling. It is just kind of following along. Like she doesn't have to puppeteer it. Uh, and it starts talking to her uh, and it gets a name. Its name is human human that's honestly kind of what michael kramer sounds like when he's doing human's voice in the audiobook <laughs> oh oh no okay <laughs> that's fine I, I i talked a little in well of ascension about how 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 difficult of a topic it is to to talk about coloss who are bloodthirsty and very dangerous and will kill you without a second thought but they're still sapient. They're still smart enough to talk. Yep. And yep. oh boy, I feel ten times more uncomfortable when I find out they can still talk while they're being controlled. They like it's not a marsh situation where you just lose yourself to the the person controlling you. It still has its own independent thoughts, and that makes it even more fucked up that the whole strategy is well, let's just control all the co-ops and then we'll have to do what we say. It's 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 uncomfortable to think about. Also, uh, I, I gotta call it out because we've been we've seen it multiple times now. We have a new Maladroit. We have a new Merlin. It is Bloodred. Okay, Bloodred. We'll, we will have to keep that. Uh, we'll have to keep that on the list. Every time we see Kolos' eyes, every time we see the sun, it is Bloodred. Bloodred. <laughs> Bloodred. Why are you saying it like that? Because <laughs> blood red. I don't know. <laughs> but that's I can't argue with that. that. That's the word that Brandon is stuck on this book. So Keep your eyes out for it. Circle it in, in big bold marker reader and then buy another copy of the book because you ruined your copy. And yeah, what color should they circle it in? <laughs> in bloodred. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to go check if I yeah. have a, a bloodred pen. <laughs> I was gonna say, find a crayon. <laughs> yeah, crayon might be a better bet. You've got more strange names there for colors. I would be surprised if Crayola decided that blood red was be a a good Our crayon. Limited name, edition, <laughs> blood red. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. But yeah, a couple chapters ago, we had Vin saying that she will never have any respect for the Coloss. And I, after this chapter, fully believe her. I definitely <laughs> think that by the end of the book, her thoughts on the Coloss will be exactly the same as they were at the beginning. Just like how with Tensoon, she was like, I'm gonna, or sorry, or sir, or sir. I'm gonna hate this guy forever. <laughs> Well, yeah, we're basically getting Tensoon 2.0, and I didn't expect it, but I'm here for it. Because, like, Vin also said, hey, you're not a human or a sir. You don't have the same rights we do. And there's, like, 
a kind of tragedy to it all. I think Sam, you brought up Algernon last time, Forrest Algernon. Um, there's, there's, it's not quite the same as getting smarter and then losing that intelligence, but there is kind of a sadness of the the only like true reason in this conversation that it's not going as well as it was with Orisur is that humans just not as eloquent. Like the yeah. reason Tensoon got so much respect out of Vin is because he was able to talk through like, well, this is how our people see it. And this is the way I see the world. And this is just how the interactions go. And human just can't like engage in conversation on that level. And because of that, I feel like it's going to take Vin a lot longer to get used to the idea that, Hey, maybe we should treat these with some semblance of respect instead of treat them like zombies because they are not zombies yeah there's a point where it seems like where, where vin is trying to to learn what she can uh, about the coloss uh, and specifically about where more coloss come from and it feels like there's just like like vin doesn't know the right question to ask and the what she's getting from human isn't clicking for her because of the the way that he speaks and and the things that he doesn't know to say and like there's clearly more there but it's just not going to to happen here yeah it feels like one of those video game side quests where you have a bunch of dialogue options but none of them progress to the conversation and you're not allowed to move forward until you find out information in some other quest line and then you come back and there's a new dialogue <laughs> option unlocked that will help you learn the, more, the new information you need. So unsurprisingly, we will uh, get back more to human and his uh, very strange uh, relation with Vin as they're starting from an even worse place than Vin and, and Orser slash Tensoon did. Uh, but the... Uh, we have we have this journey is is progressing now as they've arrived uh at the the camp that they were headed to uh and we have a return of a of an old character it is general demo mm. hello but not before brandon uses the word bivouac you just <laughs> got all sorts of vocabulary here today all the vocab i'm fine with big words what I'm not fine with is making me crack out a dictionary and then still not fully understand <laughs> what he meant by that. <laughs> just it's, say camp. It's pretty much just a military camp, yeah. I learned that word from the hit <laughs> game Call of Duty 2, Big Red 1. Uh, so take that. Call of Duty is educational, mom. Call of Duty 2, Big Red 1? What, what okay, is the, that so, name? No, hang on. No, it makes sense. The, so there's it's, Call it's of Duty the 2, the original. Isn't it? But there's a very specific, div a real-life division in World War II called the Big Red One, yeah. Um, and you play as a member of that division within the spin-off Call of Duty 2 game following the Big Red One division. Okay, gotcha. I was like, what are we getting next? Call of Duty Dream Drop Distance? First uh, video game that made me cry. Rest in peace, Brooklyn. So yeah, we have a... Uh, a uh... A reunion with uh, now General Demo, uh, who it's it's good to see him. You know we like Demo. Uh, there is a a brief, slightly uncomfortable reminder that he is a fairly devout member of the Church of the Survivor, uh, and uh, this makes Vin a little uncomfortable. 
Brandon points out that it it did feel a little on the nose with the the spear becoming the the Church of the Survivors symbol in that we're drawing a yep. pretty strong Christian allegory here. But he says yep. he basically says, "Look, that's the symbol that they would use." Okay. <laughs> okay, Brandon. But yes, they're it, it's it's a little on the nose there. Also, at some point between the last time we saw him and now, Demo got fucked up. <laughs> Big scar in one cheek, partially scalped by a coloss blade. Damn. Yeah, that's. Uh... Yeah, do we have to recast Demo too? <laughs> no, just uh, we're just gonna have to send him to the the makeup tent for another two hours every day. Uh, his fight with the Coloss will, of course, be covered in the hashtag Ben Gates cut, so don't worry about that. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> Good. I like... I find it funny. We talked in Will of Ascension about how Ellen joining the Church of the Survivor was, like, built up as a big thing, but then didn't really have a ton of payoff, and so it just kind of landed a little weirdly, which I feel like continues with... Like, Demote going, praise the survivor, and we have this brief diversion into discussing the theology. And then Ellen is like, praise the survivor indeed. Anyway, how'd your projects go? Mm-hmm. It's very lip servicey. On the next page, we get um, uh, Ellen, it's Vin thinking to herself, Ellen had forged a link between himself and the common people. Even so, the move made her uncomfortable. A year of marriage had taught her, however, that there were some things one just had to ignore. <laughs> yeah i don't know so the rest of this tra- chapter i think is pretty much just kind of a um a both a, a geographic transition as they're traveling and then also a a plot wise transition where uh we hear that uh uh breeze and sazed who we saw earlier are on their way back uh, there's going to be a meeting. They are going to be heading towards Fadrex, uh, which will make Set happy because he is uh, is still around and has been complaining extensively that they have not yet gone to Fadrex. And uh, the topic of the meeting will be conquering what's left of the world. Mm. And there's there's actually one other really important plot point you missed, um, which is that uh, we get our first mention in this book of our true Lord and survivor, Lord Hammond. Uh, Lord so Hammond that's, that's... is, of course, still alive, because how could he not be? Yes. He never will die, so. Who could forget our first strikeout? <laughs> on, our, on our route to bat- batting zero in death guesses. I appreciate you saying our Sam, but I'll take the L for Ham specifically. That one was me. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of this book left. We can see. We can see who makes it. We can see. And we will see that Ham will make it. Okay, I'll take your word for it. If he if he does die, I'll try to just like ignore it as hard as I can and just not mention it, and we'll just pretend. And then Ham gets stabbed, and he's he's bleeding out, and he's laying uh, very still. But anyway, to the rest of the book, he's very badly hurt. He hurt his arm so badly. <laughs> Again, mm. his bad arm. He almost bled out from his arm wound. 
<laughs> Again, you can, that can totally happen in real life, but when I'm reading a fantasy book, I don't expect that to be the case. Right, right. <laughs> also, they're conquering the world. They're not saving it. They're, they're conquering what's left of it. <laughs> Great. Glad, glad <laughs> Just Ellen a fun is, uh... little dictator joke for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's to the earlier point of, you know, if if a tyrannical dictator shows up and claims that they're helping you, is, is this just one of those positions where it's not really all that possible to joke? Because by the nature of the, the power that Elend wields, like he just can't, he can't joke about things like conquering the world because he can do it. <laughs> But it is still like it's a certain mindset, and here's why I'm still wrestling with Ellen. And again, there was I, I I appreciate that he's struggling with it. I am curious to see where the storyline will go. I'm on board with following how the storyline will play out, but he still has the mindset of a dictator, and not not just like a guy who needs to do this, but he he's going into it with the like, yeah, this is what conquerors should be like. The the detail that I specifically remember being like. That doesn't feel necessary. That feels like Ellen being a dick is insisting that Fatran call him my lord, and like refusing to talk to him unless he calls him my lord. That, I I don't I don't understand why that is pivotal to gaining the people's trust, especially after you just defeated the whole Coloss army in front of them. I don't know if that specific detail is vital to you coming across as kingly. So I feel like I get and there's plenty of time for him to walk it back. But at this point, there is still a little bit of certain aspects of this it does feel like ellen is still going a little more overboard than he has to and i'm curious how intentional that aspect of it is or if it is meant to be understood as well he's doing it because he feels like he has to um Mm -hmm. but i don't know i am i am eager to see where it goes but ellen is not out of the doghouse yet in my book (laughs) that was one of tindwell's lessons is don't let anyone call you anything else. And she drove that home. Uh, yeah, but the whole Well of Ascension, like, wrap-up is, Tindwell's teaching me a lot of good lessons, but I don't have to do everything, she says. And that was one specific piece of advice that I don't know how useful it is in this scenario. I feel like it's just kind mm-hmm. of Ellen's doing it because he feels like that's what a king is supposed to do, not because it's going to actually help the situation. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 uncomfy. Like, uh, on the one hand, he's been in this situation for the better part of a year. I want to say the time skip is about a year, and things have changed, and we have to try to reconcile that with the Ellen that we we once knew. But how much do you let him get away with <laughs> with that excuse? If that makes sense. A lot of book left. A lot of book left. <laughs> it's a lot of book in this book. So to finish up the book in this book that we read this section, uh, one more <laughs> uh, one more epigraph with some uh, interesting history and magic tidbits, uh, which actually kind of close a loop on some speculation that we've been having. Uh, we get direct confirmation that uh, Allomancy was linked with the appearance of the mists, uh, which was also in some way linked to Rashik first taking the power at the well. I feel like I, I, I feel like I got like 
a carrot and a stick at the same time because the sentence starts with Alamancy was indeed born with the mist. And the word indeed, it made it feel like don't worry, Caleb. You got it right. You got that one right. Well, of course, of course it was born with the mists. Like, everyone knows and that. Immediately, or at least they were, like, sort of linked, but maybe not exactly that. I'm like, come on! <laughs> so, we'll uh, we'll have to get distracted from that by more Chondra lore. Uh, th- I think this is my favorite <laughs> of the, the Chondra chapters so far, as we start to see, like, we're, we're really getting uh, some politics here. Yeah, we did not leave the political intrigue behind last book. We just made it a lot weirder. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we just get a weird version of it. <laughs> a lot more complicated. <laughs> uh, we also have more uh, cool... Like, in, in the film adaptations, I am looking forward to the, the scenic designers just having a, a good time with this one. You've got all these, like, kind of weird natural caves with the this light giving off. Uh, we have, uh, we get the the word the trust warren in the opening line of the 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 chapter. Uh, takes us a little bit to learn the details. This seems to be kind of like a a central room of government. Uh, and in in the center of this room is this enormous steel disc that is the the center of the kind of the focal point of it. Uh, and this would be. Uh, this would be very cool to see, I think. So we see in uh, in the room here uh, the the members of the second generation, all twenty of them, which is not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we get uh, this is a patented. We're going to mention a thing and then very pointedly look away from it and not mention it again. Uh, as Tensoon is standing in the center of this room, uh, looks down. Uh, sees a hole cut in the center of the disc, uh, thinks about the trust directly underneath him, and then we keep going. Anyways. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and so now we have... Uh, uh, we had Varsel in the last chapter, but he seems to just be kind of a a, a grunt here. Uh, now we have Khan Par, uh, who is going to be, it seems, presiding over this trial. Uh, for the second generation uh and right away i don't like the guy no getting a little filing off of him what a, a dick filin-y. i what had a that exact thought justin said con par and what a fucker it just popped into my brain <laughs> every book must have a fucker that's i'm taking notes for for writing my own book just one character who's just an <laughs> utter jerk. We do have a, a cool detail that his bones are constructed of the purest crystal, and his particular bones are a not quite bludgered tint, but a deep red. Mm. Mm. Bludgered. I also like uh, Tensoon's uh, more practical analysis of this, uh, which is that they're very fancy, but they're not going to be all that strong. And if you need to actually, like, do anything, they wouldn't be very effective. <laughs> Which might be a secret tool that will help us later. <laughs> going to see some uh, some some intense Chondra battles here. I would be totally on board with seeing some Chondra battles. <laughs> so, yeah, this is uh, this is to be a trial. 
which includes the the public part of it. And so they they open the doors and there's uh, a whole slew of, of Chandra who come in to, to see uh, all the way through the ninth generation. And uh, it is it is going to be a spectacle. Yeah, you mentioned earlier movie adaptations and seeing what the designers would, would do with this. And I feel like seeing all of the different Chandra enter the room. Oh, yeah. I don't know why specifically, because the scene is meant to be way more intense than this. But I just kept like having an image of like, a Ghibli movie and just like because there's so many fun different like sprite designs and like here's a little here's a little fire spirit here are mm, these little mm-hmm. like spider-like ash spirits um and I don't know I would just want to see here's all the forest spirits I would just I would love to see all the little cool um uh, uh different designs um it could end up looking really weird, but it also could be, I don't know, if the if the later generations are short and cute, that could be fun. I don't know. <laughs> it could also be, the other image that comes to mind is the scene of Monsters, Inc. when they're all walking to the factory in slow motion, and it's just all these different wacky monster designs. So maybe mm-hmm. that's the vibe it's going to go for. <laughs> in any case, yeah, we can we can have some, some wild character design here. Uh, we get another... Uh, significant named Chandra, and we do have a bit of a uh, of a chance, like you mentioned, to have some some interesting variety in the design here, uh, as we have Milan, uh, who Tensoon hoped wouldn't be there, uh, but apparently she is, uh, and she has a true body with uh, carved wooden bones that are all kind of like swoopy. Very neat. Uh, there's um. Brandon notes in this annotation uh, that uh, we never fully get the uh, the backstory on Milan. It it's most just kind of like background detail, uh, but he gives it in the annotations, and I can give some of it here, uh, which is that uh, when Chandra are being trained uh, in the um, the like their imitation and and all of that, um, that's typically mostly a one on one process. Uh, which takes some time. Uh, and Tensoon had trained Milan and she kind of looks up to him. So Tensoon okay. hoping that she wasn't there was kind of a, like, I hope she doesn't have to see if this goes horribly wrong. Okay. I'm that that makes me feel that better. wasn't in the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be, yeah, it's strange that was left out. But I was also, look, I get, I get that they live centuries long. And they're that that Chandra like interactions are different, but knowing that Tensoon is in the third generation and uh, Milan is in the seventh, I was really worried we were getting some Leonardo DiCaprio vibes here. Um, <laughs> so the fact that it's a, a mentorship relationship that they have uh, is is I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, why? Yeah. I feel like that could have been a, another just like quick paragraph Chandra lore of like Tensoon had been the one to train her. He had done this. He had done that. Because I didn't know that either, and that's rad. I, I assumed we would get backstory like that later. <laughs> this invitation <laughs> ends with the line, "There you go. Now you can astound your friends with misborn background trivia." <laughs> hey! I would like you to astound me with misborn background <laughs> trivia, Brandon. <laughs> I wonder if this got cut in like a a judicious uh, pass for length of book. They were like, "This came in at three hundred thousand words. We need to get it down to two fifty. What can we get rid of?" 
I don't know. That's fair. It's, it, it is a long boy, and that is not 100% necessary, but I feel like there could have been a quick yeah. way to sneak that in there. Yeah, no, I think I'm on your side with that. Not to worry. There will be flashbacks in the hashtag Ben Gates cut, so we're all good there. Okay, <laughs> we're safe. We're Thank safe. Gosh. So the very end of this chapter and our segment is kind of the the formal opening of this this judgment uh, where Kanpar explains that Tensoon will have a right to to plead his case before the first generation uh, and they may choose to free him uh, and otherwise it will be up to the seconds to decide his punishment and Tensoon thinks that uh, Kanpar is uh, is very much enjoying this and kind of feels like he already knows where this is going to go. Uh, but Tensoon thinks that that he has a surprise or two uh, for the crowd here. And we will have to see later what those are. You don't understand. Zane was the fucking worst, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you spend that long with him, you're going to do some crazy shit, I promise you. <laughs> But yeah, with the uh, the trial basically about to start, uh, that is where we will leave off for the section. So, uh, having gotten most of the way through uh, part one, or about two-thirds of the way through, uh, where do we see ourselves? We've got, uh, I think, kind of a better handle on what some of these, these plot lines are going to be. Uh, we've got a reason to go to one of our map locations. Uh, we've seen where this Tensoon plot is going to start at. Uh, and yeah, we've got the rest of the book ahead of us. It's all very interesting. <laughs> it's another another uh, one of those sections where I just wanted to keep reading. So, <laughs> Well, it's, uh, it's good that we're coming to the, uh, the latter parts of this episode because... That's going to be next. He's reading more. Exactly. Perfect. Um, shall I start with casting? Yeah, let's uh, let's do a casting. So I don't think we met any new humans this section. We I met believe new you're characters. correct. We met, we met one new human. Yes, we, we met one human with uh, a capital H. We met human with a capital H. It's true. Uh, so all of my uh, my castings are just things I envision. So okay. there you go. That works. Um, Varcel, I'm picturing as Martin X from Marvel, um, which is spelled Martin E-X. Um, he's the, the crystal ice guy from Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Okay. Um, so, you know, clear, kind of translucent dude. Um... Let's see, human. I'm picturing, uh, you know, well, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going with it. Human. I'm picturing Lily Bowen from Fallout New Vegas, which is the the blue super mutant from that game. Um, modern day, current ten soon, post self recreation ten soon. <laughs> I'm picturing as Blark from Blark and the Sun. <laughs> You're making that up. 
I was going to say, you're you're just saying some words now. No, I, I, I posted snips in the chat. Blark and Son is a, was a internet web series that turned into a, 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 a Comedy Central show recently. Um, and it's like grotesque puppets kind of thing. Those do look pretty um, freaky. Yeah. So is this the, you look is at this them. The fucking thing you keep sending in chat, or is that a separate creepy <laughs> puppet thing? No, it's that creepy <laughs> puppet thing. Okay, okay, I see it now. Yes, it is Barkinson. Yeah. Okay. A little, little spooky. Um, and then for uh, Milan, um, right or not, just in my head, I'm picturing Sally from Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. It's not exactly described that way, but that's what I'm picturing. So. So, yeah, so I mean, take like, that. all of these characters are are kind of like there's there's a huge variety here and there's going to be in a, in a screen adaptation, there's going to be a bunch of, you know, uh, weird effects work and probably some uh, some voice work. Uh, but it we're trying to we're trying to picture this now. So that works for me. Exactly. And Brandon will just have to ask for the rights for the movie. <laughs> Hey, can we use Sally for Milan? <laughs> no. Make an original <laughs> character. No, you can't just do that. <laughs> we need to talk to Disney to get Sally. We need to talk to Comedy Central for Blark and Son. And we need to talk to Disney again to get Martin X in here. <laughs> and just mix in that claymation with that live action with that video game. Just throw it all together. But yeah, that's my casting. Okay. Uh, Caleb, as Sam said, we don't have any new, uh, lowercase h human cast members, uh, <laughs> but if you have impressions or voice casts or anything for any of these, we can, uh, note those down. Yeah. I'm realizing now that like, you know, voice acting is kind of my wheelhouse and I did not actually think of voice actors for the Chandra. Um, I do <laughs> want to find a good cast for Tensoon. We didn't get a lot of description of exactly what his body looked like. I don't think so. I've kind of been trying to think of like who looks like the most generic human possible because that's just what Tensoon <laughs> would default into. And I haven't thought of one yet. So I'm probably going to try and have a Tensoon by next time. I don't have one okay. yet. Um, so the only new casting I. Who <laughs> <laughs> looks like you set all the character creator sliders to middle? <laughs> ah, the first addition to my casting column. <laughs> Sorry, that, that actually that actually fits really well with the new um, uh, podcast that they're starting, which is the Macro Brothers will be in the Cosmere adaptations. <laughs> so um, good to keep that in mind. Um, anyways, yeah, the only actual real casting I have is for human. Um, I have not actually seen Umbrella Academy nor almost anything else this guy is in, but I've just seen pictures of him and he seems to have the physicality down. Uh, so I cast Tom Hopper. Um, I don't okay. even know which character he plays in Umbrella Academy, but he's the big tall one. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I forget his number. His name is Luther. He's the one who is part ape. Okay. I vibe with oh. it. So yeah. this, this is somebody who has has played some, uh, some weird kind of semi-human things. He's he's a dude, but he just he some strange science happened, and he got part a 
apified, but I I think he could pull this off. Which what 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 does part apified mean? Because I'm realizing now, <laughs> I, he wears like a, mass, a massive trench coat, but does he have like ape arms that I didn't notice? Like what does yeah, that mean? His torso. Oh, I'll send you a reference image. Uh, oh goody. He's a big boy. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that. That looks like someone who's yeah, part eight, I it. guess. Okay. Normally he looks a little furrier. Anyway, <laughs> this is not. Relevant. Anyways, <laughs> I don't know. I we we've got our uh, our our weird creature casting suite this uh, this segment, uh, and and some of those we can come back to as we see more of them or don't. Uh, I'm saving Doug Jones for someone else. I don't, I don't think Doug Jones should be our human. Although that being said, Doug Jones is perfectly fine playing a ton of different roles in the same movie, so maybe I shouldn't uh, cut back on that. All right. So uh, we can now head on to uh, our our interesting bit where we now have... a we're starting to get more to go on in terms of like, what are the plot lines that we're going to be predicting on? Uh, and our epigraphs are certainly uh, starting to give us some, some juicy tidbits. So I would love to know uh, what, uh, what we're thinking about. All right. So, uh, I feel like I, um, I don't know. You ever have one of those classes where, like, you know, it's maybe winter, not winter, but, like, fall, quarter, right? And Christmas is coming up, and your teacher is kind of sentimental, and, you know, all the quizzes and tests you've taken so far are like, what is the the cosine of x times y cubed or whatever? And you, you study your ass off for this last test, and then you get to that last test, and half of it is extra credit, and the extra credit is like, what's your favorite Christmas carol? <laughs> I feel like I'm doing that with the epigraphs. I, I feel like I'm. <laughs> what does that I'm, mean? <laughs> I think I I think I get it. Yeah. Middle school. In that you are. No. Like, <laughs> in that there's there's a lot of of theorizing going on, and then the epigraphs are just kind of giving you some stuff, and you're like I didn't expect to just have that printed out on the page already <laughs> yep yep and i've just seen the first the first question asking uh what frosty the snowman was and i'm like okay i okay am i still supposed to be worried about this test i don't know uh but anyway i i wrote down my my traditional three points here what they reveal what we know about epigraph person and who is it? My prediction. Okay. Um, so I'll just I'll just go for it here. Uh, epigraphs. This section they reveal that the scour were created by Rashik specifically to survive Ash from the world he ruined. Good job, Rashik. Oh, and ruined, ha. Huh? Ruined. <laughs> yep. That will keep happening. Uh, Don't worry. All right. <laughs> um, and uh, chamber nuggets, which I'm gonna call the chamber nuggets now. I like that. Chamber nuggets are aspects of ruin itself. The chamber nuggets. The nuggets in the chamber. Upsetting, but okay. But little right. Inky Boy is too much. That's right. <laughs> I'm just sitting here having to type all this shit. <laughs> um, 
All right, so what do we know about the epigraph person? Uh, he or she worked as part of a group. And he or she, uh, meta aspect here, is asking big questions. Um, this person is pondering the religious implications of Rashik's rule, and they're pondering the nature of the world itself. So, who is it? It's a member of the crew. Um, and I'm really getting the feeling, points to Caleb here, if... if uh, I'll give points to Caleb ahead of time, but I think this could be Sazed. Um, there's the most obvious, and if this is actually a tell, kind of dumb tell, uh, is there's been at least one dropped, I think, here, um, which seems to be a Terrace quirk, and not so much a Skadriel at large quirk. Um... Uh, he's smart enough to be the guy, the the epigraph person. Um, he, in the book, is struggling with religion and dogma, which this very much is. Um, it even, you know, the epigraphs even talk about, or not the epigraphs, the book even talks about the relig religious implications of Rashik as Lord Ruler. He did end up naming himself the Sliver of Infinity in his religion, quoting the epigraph here. Mm -hmm. um, and also it would be a nifty character arc. Um, you know, it would be interesting. Um, the problem with Sazed is it's really obvious. <laughs> okay, a little boring. It's not boring. It's interesting, but it's like, uh, there's got to be a different twist then, because there's always a twist with the epigraphs. The thing that I think is the biggest, like, disconnect for me uh, would be that in my mind, the hero of ages needs to like do something big and heroic to like save the day. And it like, at least right now, like we, we saw Sazed do his, his fight in at uh, the battle of Luthadel. Uh, but like he, he doesn't seem like a saving the planet type of person right now. Yeah. He's a little wrapped up in his own head right now. That's true. But people forced into circumstances, you know, they find their way, I guess. Um, so I don't know, but the epigraphs have juked me both times so far. So maybe this time will be the same. I don't know. I'm looking forward and hoping to being surprised. Because if I just have the right answer, then that's boring. Although, again, I'll, you know, whether it's right or not, I'll give points to Caleb because I'm siding with him on this one i'll defend myself a little bit here it didn't seem too obvious to you last episode <laughs> that's true and you know what uh yeah that's true <laughs> that's what so there um and then the rest of my predictions were not not as well detailed um but that's okay uh because sometimes sometimes we get you know a Penrod Rashik, sometimes we don't. So, uh, let's see. Uh, Tensoon is going to improbably win his appeal. Uh, probably because the crowd gets involved. I don't think that the second generation is going to... Like, this isn't up for a vote, right? This isn't... This is like you're presenting before the Supreme Court here. Right. Um, this is... Yeah, this, so. the, there is there is a distinct placement of the power here and there's not much that anyone can do about this he pleads his case and a decision will be made 
kind of a strange parallel to uh, Elend in the last book um, with his democracy attempt. Um, and a human, human is going to develop more, obviously. Uh, to what end? I, I don't really know. Um, human just kind of reiterated stuff we already knew at this point. Um, but we'll see. Human knows the Coloss. Presumably. Um, and let's see. Uh, I'll, I'll toss one in. I'll toss one in off the top of the dome here. Fadric City does not have the Atium. Okay. There, I'm, I'm typing that in. That's all I got. That's my prediction. <laughs> but Finn is so sure. We have uh, that. It will be there. All right, then. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I have uh, a, a behind-the-scenes peek at my uh, recording of some of these uh, some of these theories. Often when, especially when there's kind of a big obvious question, in this case, like who the epigraph author is, uh, I will greatly summarize uh, the predictions from you two. Uh, like in the in our first episode when Caleb when you went through all of your logic on the epigraph author and you landed on why it was Sazed I literally just wrote Sazed um, because I like that is that is the question at hand for for a while at least uh, and so for this uh, for this week uh, Sam your column now has Sazed with a question and an exclamation point so we'll see if that yep. just like keeps ping-ponging back and forth or if one of you ends up changing your mind and i guess we can we can check in right now uh caleb i'm going to assume no but have you changed your mind on who wrote the epigraphs <laughs> it's ham it's all ham it's always been ham i knew uh, it no. um, um i will I'll, I'll i'll leave some of that towards the end because i have some more minor predictions first off um uh, definitely also think there's no way they're finding the Adium. I still have no answer as to where it would be because there presumably should be Adium somewhere. Um, that feels like a stash that even the Lord Ruler wouldn't necessarily carve into a map. So maybe there's some secret one. It'd be hilarious if it's just like that first cave in Credit Shaw. You just need to look a little bit harder. It was there the whole time. I, I, I it, it can't be that simple, but it would be funny if that's what it was. Um, because what's with the room with the fog? That has to be important, right? Um, the smoky fog. Anyways, um, uh, a specific detail is, I think, putting a, getting a, the chest spike, uh, getting a spike through your chest um, allows Ruin to make a direct connection with you. And maybe if you have a lot of spikes plus the heart spike, that helps him take control of you. But Zane only had the one spike, and it was just a voice in his head. It didn't actually control him. To That's do the difference. So, okay. Yeah, um, but I think the 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 central chest spike is a connection with Ruin. That's the main uh, uh, component there. I do think the Chandra um, can, and it seems like the fifth generation does practice hemallergy. But I think it would be cool if it functions differently for Chandra, um, particularly in how you get the powers. Um, so I am keeping my eye out on that. Um, and then, um, a couple of other things about the Chandra. 
I, I have I, I'm thinking of Jabba the Hutt here and how he has this little Rancor pit that he can just press a button and release you into. I'm curious if something is happening like that with the trust because it's, it's there's a very specific note of he looks down and there's a hole in the plate and he goes it's directly below me. Um, so I'm curious the trust the trust sounds like a trustworthy thing but it could also be a like form of execution where depending on how contra work and how they can glop up each other uh, you they can glop up other things perhaps they can also glop up each other um if the uh trial doesn't go well will they just release tensoon into the trust and the trust will just like take over him and subsume him and maybe it's kind of a hive mind situation um, if that's what they do with all of their criminals, I don't know why you would call that the trust, but, um, I'm curious if that's sort of what's going on there. Um, and then my other thing is, I, 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 sh I shot this shot last time with the Lord Ruler, ended up being wrong, but I'll go ahead and put this chip back on the table again. I think there's a chance that, uh, the first generation is already dead. We get a description of them looming as shadows, but, like, I think it specifically specifies unmoving shadows, um, just up in the ceiling. Um, and apparently they get to decide whether or not they believe in Tensoon or not. And then if they don't believe him, then the second generation decides the fate. But the, the second generation guys, they seem like fuckers. All right. So I feel like it's not out of the question that they, in order to give themselves prestige, they're like, well, we're just following the will of the first generation. Um, but in actuality, they're kind of in control the whole time. And so they'll get to like be like, well, first generation, if you think Tensoon should be spared, speak your mind. And then there's silence. And they're like, and there's well, nothing. too bad, Tensoon. <laughs> um, so, yes, I'm curious if perhaps the first generation is is uh, no longer with us and the second generation are calling all the shots. Um, so those are my thoughts on that. Um, with regard to the epigraph writer, Justin, I see what you're doing here. I understand that you want to instill doubts in the true believers out there. <laughs> um, I don't have a lot of new evidence this time around as to why the epigraph writer is Sazed, um, aside from what Sam pointed out of him being focused on religion and how the Lord who presented himself as a, a religious figure. But I did go back again to some of the old uh, <laughs> lore that we've gotten. Um, and now this time I'm drawing from information that was not forged in steel. This is from writings that Tindwell found. So it's a little less trustworthy, but I still think it's interesting to point out, um, that we do get a little thing about the Hero of Ages prophecy saying that the Hero of Ages shall not be a man, but a force. No nation may claim him, no woman shall keep him, and no king may slay him. He shall belong to none, not even himself. Now, we noted at the time that it was dehumanizing and uncomfortable that Sazed said this about himself, but Sazed has gone on record saying... I'm not really a man. I don't consider myself a man. Um, so Hero of Ages should not be a man. That sort of checks out. Um, no woman shall keep him. The one woman who might have sure isn't keeping him now. Um, and uh, <laughs> the the rest of it, I feel like kind of a line. Look, I'm salty about Tindwell dying and I have to cope with it by joking about it. That's how it goes. Um, <laughs> so... Um, that checks out, and then we also get he shall defend their ways, yet shall violate them. Again, kind of aligning with Sazed as being a terrorist who sort of keeps to their ways, but also is a bit of a rebel. Um, he will be their savior, that they shall call him heretic. He certainly has been called something akin to heretic by the terrorist people. Um, 
and his name shall be Discord, yet they shall love him for it. Discord is capitalized. And if Sezid is the epigraph writer, he essentially is uh, fulfilling the function of a uh, chat room. So him being Discord also checks oh, out. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> that's, that's that's a line too far. I refuse. That's <laughs> all I have for my thoughts on that particular topic for today. But the last thing I want to talk about, I don't actually have a theory. And generally, there's kind of like a, a friendly competition between Sam and I on theories and what we think is going to happen. Since I don't have a lot of conclusions here, I think I might like have a conversation with Sam here in terms of I've laid out Uh-oh. a ton of dots and I don't know how to connect any of them. And maybe together we can come up with something here. Because wh- what the fuck is the actual deal with the mist? All right. Like there's I don't. <laughs> It's yeah. it's a very mysterious force. Um, mysterious. So I just, it's very mysterious. Myst, mysterious, yes. Um, so I just kind of have written out all the thoughts we have. And I'm just curious, Sam, if you could gather anything from this. Because I really can't. But I just have a list of bullet points here. So there is, quote unquote, no rhyme or reason to who dies or is affected by the mist. However, outside of what the characters have noted, we have picked up on the fact that mostly it appears to kill old men like that is actually a a a connection in terms of the specific people we have seen killed by the mists now clearly the characters would have picked up on that if that's all there is to it but it does seem like that old men particularly are vulnerable um we know that most people who get the fits survive and only one in six people get the fits and then only a small selection of those actually die um uh most people don't get the fits i don't know if i said that i'm gonna mix that up um, and then once you survive one of those fits, you are immune forever. And then besides the mists itself, we also have the mist spirit, who we have not checked in with yet at all this book. Um, we know the spirit is extra because it stabs Ellen, just to prove a point. Um, but ultimately, it seems friendly or at the very least scared of ruin and against ruin. Um, the spirit is also intelligent. It's able to pick up on the specific detail that of the prophecy that has been changed the most drastically. Um, and it also, as noted with Elland, can like literally stab people. The mists like cause seizures with like just kind of people just get seizures by being in the mists, but the spirit can like actually physically stab someone. Um, so what the fuck is up with that? I don't know. Um, and then one last detail that I went all the way back to Final Empire again, because I'm just, I can't stop checking all these epigraphs. <laughs> there is one detail from Alendi's journal that's really interesting, in which it specifies Fedic discovered a lake with a metallic sheen. Which, mm-hmm. weirdly, sounds a lot like the Well of Ascension in the descriptions we got. And then also, Alendi theorizes the Fedic got close to the lake, and Alendi thinks that's the reason why the spirit attacked him. So, what the fuck's going on with Alendi's journal? If they found a lake with a metallic sheen, and they were like, well, that's not it. We have to keep moving on to the Well of Ascension. If the mist spirit was protecting this metallic lake, and the metallic lake fits the description of the Well of Ascension, aside from presumably being a lot bigger than the well... What's what the fuck's going on? I don't have any answers. These are just all things I've been thinking about. Yeah, it's all very interesting. Um, I one thing that I would say is I think that 
the point of the misspirit sta- stabbing um Elend was to make Vin get into the the well um and therefore to take in the power and maybe to give it up to you know whatever um so I think the misspirit might actually have been an aspect of ruin um I'm not 100% sure on that one though uh, that's interesting because Vin's take, which I kind of, I assumed she was right on this, was that stabbed Ellen in order to get Vin in the well and then keep the power because keeping the power would be the only way to save Ellen that she knew about. And then once the choice had been made, the Miss Spirit was like, okay, fuck, that didn't work. But anyways, there's another way to save Ellen if you use the, the chicken nuggets. <laughs> chicken nuggets? That's even worse. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> I'm hanging up. <laughs> no. There's so much more to talk about. Um let me see. Uh yeah, another thing that I think is weird about the mist is did it it appears as though and I think you pointed this out, Caleb. It and ruin are wholly separate things. And that is a weird coincidence to me. That is a weird thing to have coexist. If that's the case. Well, I did I did kind of theorize last episode, yeah, is that Ruin, when talking to Marsh, was like there's a shield over the land, essentially. And so, yeah, it almost feels like the Mists and Ruin, despite both being very dangerous to the average populace, are kind of direct enemies. And that's why I feel like... I was like going to say, are they was... in opposition? I, I think they are. And again, I think my, my theory last time was let them fight. Um... <laughs> but I am, I in terms of how the mists actually function, I just don't. It makes no damn sense. Compels me though. <laughs> Compels me though. <laughs> Compels me though. All right, let me let me toss this out because I just connected these dots here. Um, <laughs> are they in opposition? Hmm. Uh, we learned that um in the last book that humans are of ruin and conjure are of preservation, and we haven't met preservation yet, and preservation presumably exists. Otherwise, it'd be weird if like ruin exists but preservation doesn't. Did maybe did get a mists... capital letter for that one on both of them? We did. So maybe maybe the mists are an aspect of preservation. Um. Maybe preservation can save the day for everybody after killing everybody all the time. Oh, that's the thing. is like the mists don't seem to be preserving all that much. They're killing all the crops and they're killing all the people. Um, and th- it also, that contra detail, while being very good foreshadowing for Ruin, also never made much sense to me because according to the Chondra, they were created by the Lord Ruler, a human. So what do you mean you're of preservation if your father figure is the like is the lord ruler um and it's just i, I yeah i don't i don't know i don't it, it, there's so much that doesn't seem to click i feel like we're missing something big and it's frustrating and i want to keep reading it's like you're playing a game that you saw your parents play <laughs> <laughs> it's even worse it's like i'm watching a game that my parents are actively playing, and it's Justin and Beth. Don't put that responsibility on me. But I still don't know the rules! I say this fully joking, because this segment has been delightful. However, we need to record faster. We can't let you alone in your thoughts this long anymore. You're gonna reread the entire damn trilogy. I'm going insane. I've covered this. (laughs) 
on the other hand though i perhaps not every episode but i do want more of this just like actively bouncing ideas off of each other because this was great is this collab yeah. <laughs> it's uh, sam caleb collab caleb sam collab <laughs> i have to think of a, a catchy name for it but yeah i think that Call um we, we've got them. some elaboration on some earlier theories. Beth, I'm just steamrolling over you trying to watch up with live. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I appreciate the effort. <laughs> um, we've got uh, we got a couple of new things related to our our chondral lore uh, and our some more hemology info that we found, uh, and we are set up for the the finish of part one. Uh, our next episode will be. Uh, it's only four chapters. They're a little bit larger than the the small ones that we got uh so 10 11 12 and 13 we'll wrap up part one legacy of the survivor uh and then we will we'll start getting into some uh some bigger sections from there but uh, that is what we've got uh for our our next segment and unless there's anything that i'm missing we can do some outro bullshit uh what about the social medias? That's part of the outro bullshit. I consider all of that oh. bullshit. Oh, it's bullshit. Can you hear that, Caleb? It's true. No, it is bullshit. He's right. I mean, th- that's not necessarily <laughs> a bad thing. It's good bullshit. <laughs> so, yes, uh, you can find everything that we do for this show uh, on alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, you can also email us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, if you have thoughts that discuss the the future of the books or things that we discussed but maybe didn't get into all the details of, that's the best place to message us because Beth and I have the, the first look at that. Uh, you can also find us on the, the wider social media of the web, uh, both on Twitter at alwaysanotherpod. That's without the A in another. Uh, and on Instagram at always another pod. Uh, and we have episode updates and other uh, miscellaneous nonsense in between on those. Other than that, uh, I would also like to report that today's episode was recorded with all of us speaking at our normal vocal pitch. So that's great. <laughs> great. Yay. <laughs> yeah, is that a challenge for the outro? <laughs> Apparently it is. Why do I say these things? <laughs> I'm too tired. I can't I can't do wacky voices. <laughs> Alright, well, in that case I think we will take our leave, sign off, thank everyone for listening, uh, and rejoin for another recording and another episode in a little bit. And my happy with your spirit. <laughs> and and also with your voice. Yeah. <laughs>